Hey everybody, what's up? Chuck Lobo and myself just got done recording the 2017 Halloweenies episode and try as hard as we could to keep it spooky, weird, odd, Halloween oriented. Well, when you get the three of us together, it just doesn't work out that way. So what will result in it will be a episode of a lot of guffaws, um, senseless, stupid humor that we do. We're probably going to have some music in it, not as much as other episodes, but I know I've got at least three songs that I'm probably going to drop in there, maybe four, who knows. But uh, I have to edit that one together, and the reason we recorded it this week is next week because of Halloween and because uh, Lobo has kids and things like that, and I've also got some plans. We weren't going to be able to record the Halloween show next week, so we did it this week. And being that we're not releasing an episode this week, I've decided to go back to way back to episode 31. I believe it was our first year of podcasting, and we interviewed Raymond Wiley about the Georgia Guidestones. Um, I don't remember. We do talk about the Georgia Guidestones in this episode. I can't remember how extensively that we did. Um, If you don't know what the Georgia Guidestones are, relax. You can find information about them very easy by going in and doing a Google search, also going on YouTube. You know, just type in Georgia Guidestones. Be prepared to be barraged with a storm of conspiracy theories and things like that because they're this strange artifact that's out in the middle of nowhere just outside of Georgia. They're kind of like um, Stonehenge, and they've got all these different inscriptions on them, things like that. Really, go check it out and investigate them. The funny thing is, is that back then when we first started this show, we just put this show together with whatever we could find, and we cobbled together our recording equipment, and we kind of got whatever microphones we could get our hands on. I was still using a crappy microphone. I think Lobo had just upgraded from like a headset microphone for like... I don't know, like doing whatever it was back then. It was a really cheap microphone, and he had just upgraded to something else. I really didn't know how to polish audio audio very well. I wasn't as good of a editor. Um, so the audio quality of this show is definitely not what people, if you're a new listener, this is not what you're normally used to hearing from us. If you're an old listener and you've been around for a while, you're going to hear and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember what this sounded like. So, you know, I've tried to clean it up a little bit. I've done what I can. I've run it through my special sauce and stuff and tried to, you know, help it a little bit. But the bottom line is it was just recorded with such crappy equipment that it's going to sound the way that it does. And I apologize about that. But the content of the show is still something very dear to my heart. It was one of my favorite interviews that we ever did about a topic that only a few esoteric podcasts were really talking about. It was one of those really out there, strange subjects that people were just like, ah, what the hell is this? So we asked Raymond to come on. I believe we talk about the Guidestones, and then from there it just goes off into a wide direction of strange, unusual, and odd topics. Um, the music, some of the music I've edited down because we had longer musical interludes back then. The way we did things was a little bit different. And I've put the outtakes at the beginning of the episode as opposed to the end of it. So give it a listen. Hopefully you enjoy it. Um, it was great to hear it again. It was cool to hear where we got started from and to hear how we sounded back then and how much we've transitioned to now. And we will see everybody next week with the Halloween show. Take care. Peace. Can't you see I'm recording here? Shut the oh, hell up. I know, right? <laughs> uh, okay. So I drink all my beer. Shut up. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea that we're taking a, a, a break for a minute. Let me have let me wash this down. Let me wash this, <laughs> I, let me wash this idea down. Well, this will definitely make it into the outtakes reel. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. So you are okay. interested in the unknown. The mysterious. The unexplainable. That is why you are here.
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Project Archivist. Tonight, we have Mr. Raymond Wiley, who's going to be on the show with us. And this is a guy that I've really wanted to get on the show for a long time. For a while, I was bugging him. I don't want to say nonstop on Facebook. I didn't want to bug him nonstop and tick him off. But he finally agreed to come on the show with us, and he's going to talk about the Georgia Guidestones. A lot of you people have probably heard this if you're fans of Erie Radio or Paratopia or any number of the other paranormal shows he's been on there. He talks about the Guidestones tonight, but he only briefly skims over what they are just for people. Well, I would say he, he does a he, he just covers them real briefly, wouldn't you say? I would, yeah, yeah. He goes and he doesn't go into big depth about them. He describes what they are because he he's covered that in other shows. Plus, he's got it in his book. But he also goes into the research that he's found after the Guidestones, after he went out and really researched it. Normally. When people are on the show, we have them on here to push their books. But again, we try to have people on here to give knowledge and information above what they've already talked about on other shows. And Raymond comes through in spades for us tonight. And he was just a great guy to have on the show. So yeah, he was. It was a joy to talk to. I guess we'll, uh, well, as I always say, let's just jump right on into it. Whee! Tonight we have with us Mr. Raymond Wiley, I would say knowledge master extraordinaire. We're going to have him on to talk about everybody's favorite subject, the Georgia Guidestones. All right, Raymond, you out there? Hey, how I'm ironic here. that uh, I should say that. <laughs> I, you know, that was pretty that was pretty punny, I got to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I am I'm here, uh, you know, be- beaming in live from uh, from Atlanta, which is from a far off galaxy from many of us, especially you guys up in Connecticut and Michigan. So it's good to be here on the show. So uh, how's everybody doing? I'm doing Yay. all right. I'm eating uh-huh. Skittles, so I'm doing fine. I used to listen to you on a show out there radio, and I believe you still have the Disinfo podcast going. Is that true? Is that still up and running? That's correct. We're going to do one more episode of that in the coming month, and then we'll be wrapping it up. But yes. Are you going to leave that online so people can go check it out and download it, or is it, are you going to pull everything down when you're done with it? Oh, no, no, no. It'll, it'll be available. I'll have links to both of them up in the show. But the Georgia Guidestones, when you were on out there, you had just found the Georgia Guidestones, I believe, and you were starting to do your information and your research on them. You've appeared on a bunch of other shows talking about them. Tell us what the Georgia Guidestones are. Give us the uh, give us the short tour of it, and then we're going to go from there about what you've discovered since you made the uh, initial research into it. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, the Georgia Guidestones are a uh, massive granite monument in uh Northeast Georgia, Elberton, Georgia. It's not too far from the Savannah River. Um, And they sit on top of a hill in the middle of a very sort of quiet rural area. Um, It's 19 foot tall, granite monument. And on it is etched 10 guidelines that are supposedly meant to guide humanity uh, in in the future, into some sort of age of reason, or at least that's what they say on them. Uh, and anyway, these guidelines or precepts are written in eight of the most uh, common modern languages. It's sort of like a Rosetta Stone. Uh, people have also called it the, uh, a Ten Commandments kind of monument. That's it's been likened to that before, as well. Anyway, what's interesting about the monument is that there's a mystery surrounding it. No one knows, or maybe only one or two people know exactly who had it erected. And there's a lot of controversy around uh, the different precepts. These ten precepts that are um, etched into this monument. Anyway, it's quite a sight if you go out there, and it really sticks out in rural Georgia. You know, you're used to having a 
you know, uh, a sort of an evangelical church on every corner, but not a, you know, Stonehenge-esque megalith in the middle of a cow field. So. Out in the middle of nowhere made out of granite. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the person that did this, his, uh, he came in using the name of R.C. Christian, correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, he th- this mysterious stranger shows up in the town of Elberton uh, back in June of 1979 and says he wants to build this giant monument. And they didn't even believe him at first at the at the granite finishing company where he um, first first came in and presented the idea for the monument. You know, he already had schematic from from what they say. He already had schematics and drawings and things and even a small model of what he wanted to build. But uh, literally the the man Joseph Finley at the Elbert Granite Finishing Company thought that it was a joke and it was a prank. So he sends him off to the local banker in town, Wyatt Martin was the man's name. And um, the banker quickly realized that the guy was on the level and that he had money and that he wanted to build this massive, strange granite monument in uh, later, found, later they decided that it was going to be in Elberton. That's uh, that's sort of the mystery, right? Is who who was this guy? Why did he choose to remain uh, to, to take on this pseudonym R.C. Christian? And what what are all these? What are these weird precepts about? Like, what are his beliefs? You know, I mean, these are these are the kind of things that have people puzzled. And then and then I think. Also, what's most interesting about this monument is people's reactions to this mystery and to this story, because that's like a whole other tale in and of itself and, and, you know, a big part of why we wanted to write a book about the monument. So So nobody to this date has revealed who this guy is or anything like that. Nobody's nobody's come out and said, well, this was that person, like the bank people that that set up the loan and the financing. Because I'm sure a monument of this size would have costed a sizable amount of money to do. It's not something you just walk in and say, here, here's here's 50 bucks, go build me Stonehenge, you know, out of the middle of nowhere. Oh, by the way, I need to buy the land too. And I need to do this and I need to do that. Yeah, there's there uh, something like 237,000 pounds composed of 951 cubic feet of granite. So, you know, pretty pretty big project, right? And you know, I'd guess uh, you know, around 250-300,000 probably in 1980 dollars, and you know those dollars were worth a lot more. And that was just so, the cost for the monument, that didn't include like the cost of the land or anything either. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I couldn't tell you exactly because no one in none of the interviews that we did for the book were we ever told exactly, you know, how much the loan was for or how much um, the monument itself cost. All of those things were like R.C. Christian's real name sort of kept uh, private as mm-hmm. part of the process. So the banker, you asked, will anybody ever reveal his name or do we know if anybody will ever reveal his name? Well, the person in Elberton in the town where the monument was built who knows his name has, has said that he is taking it to his grave with him. And is, is absolutely determined to do so. Wyatt Martin, who we have uh, a good bit of an interview with in the book. So Wyatt Martin, right, not only has said that he's going to take it to his grave, he has burned all of the records pertaining to the uh, to the building of the Georgia Guidestones, what the guy's name was, you know, all of the financial records. He's burned them. I've, I've seen a film of him burning them and dumping them into uh, Lake Oconee. Wow. So, yeah, and um, so and that'll actually be in a film that's coming out later this year. 
So, wow. Yeah. So We're just dead set on keeping this guy quiet to, to let nobody know who he is. Well, the banker gave his word. Yeah. Right. And you know, apparently the banker doesn't think that you know that there's any anything too sinister behind them. Many people do, of course. But the banker seems dead set on keeping his word. Do we uh, do we know whether or not the banker or anybody else that was involved may have been a frater- in part of a fraternal order? Well, we know that uh, the guy that ran the granite finishing company, Joe Finley, who was kind of like the leader of the town at the time in a lot of ways. He became the mayor later. You know, he really helped the project along. Not only was his finishing, co- his, his Elbert and Granite Finishing Company building the monument itself and doing this big contract, but I think he also worked with the uh, Elberton Granite Association. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I know, it sounds weird me like quoting these different little professional groups here, but like you have to understand that like Elberton has more than a dozen granite quarries, and they probably right. produce more granite monuments, i.e., tombstones, uh, than any other place in the United States. I think there's yeah, that's one what I that's what I heard that was Alberton was like the tombstone capital of the US. Well let's call it the granite capital of the world. <laughs> that's what it that's what it says when you're coming into the town. It doesn't say like the tombstone, you know, Mecca or anything. Wouldn't that be better yeah. now? That would be so badass. We make death look good. <laughs> <laughs> well they certainly make granite look good. And and um so and the guidestones are in many ways a testament to the to the work of the right. people in this town. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and, and so you can see why, in that in sort of that point of view, why this guy, Wyatt Martin, is sort of dead set on taking this to his grave. Now, right. there, are, there are also other people in the community that sort of don't look on it with pride, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask really? you, when these were built, they were, they, when these things were actually built and, and commissioned and put out, the community didn't have the same reaction back then that they're getting from people now, did they? It was back when these things were commissioned that there, was, there wasn't like the overwhelming idea that this is some dark, sinister New World Order thing. Well, by, by and large, the, the town and the county, Elbert County, ex- accepted the, the monument coming in uh, and certainly welcomed the business. You know, I mean, there was not only do you have the, the, the finishing company and the quarry men working, you've got, you know, a land sale to a local farmer and you've got now you've got a tourist attraction for your town for people to come and visit and a little local mystery and all of this stuff. So. And that's why so many people in the town were behind it initially, especially this guy, Joe Finley, who, who you were asking about a minute ago. Were there any fraternal connections? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the rumor is, is that Joe Finley was a Shriner, right, was a Freemason. And in fact, that's what Finley thought at first when R.C. Christian came in and, pr- and proposed the monument to him. He says, oh, this has got to be some kind of these are like my Shriner buddies playing a joke on me. Or right. something like that. And so, I mean, you know, and I've asked some people in Elberton, we talk about this, you know, some in the book. You know, I've asked some people in Elberton, you know, uh, who were in the, the Granite City Lodge, right, which is the name of the Freemasons Lodge in the town. Right. Um, you know, is, do the Guidestones ever come up or, you know, are they a revered site to you guys? You know, you know, anything like that. And, they, and they've always, the people have said, well, the, the Masons that I've talked to in the town have said, no, no, that, that never comes up. And that makes sense to me because Masonic monuments always have a Masonic seal on them. And there's a certain ritual that they do when they, well, when they put them up and stuff like that. They're not, 
their rituals are secret. Their existence is not secret, which is the difference here. And because the pr- people who put up the guidestones, we don't know exactly who they. Well, the reason were. why I was asking is because I am a I am a Freemason. Oh well, well, good on you. Good on you, man. <laughs> so I I know that that uh, if if you are if you're if 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 another Mason comes to you with something, it's held you you held you hold it in regard. And if this gentleman was to take it to his grave, it would be, it would make sense that he would want to take it to his grave as a request from a fellow brother. Right. Well, I'm not sure that the banker, Wyatt Martin, the person who know, who actually knows the identity of R.C. Christian, I'm not sure whether he's a Mason or not. I know for sure that the that the guy who ran the granite company that built right. them was a Mason. And See, he was looked at he the, was the he was the mayor too. Right. And he had a lot to do with making like he was the one that first saw, okay, this has some kind of tourist draw for our town. Putting yeah. money into my pocket. That's <laughs> it, man. Yeah. So and I think so that's but that is one part of the story. Take a walk on the dark side. Del Shannon was attempting a comeback. Even though Shannon's career was about to be rekindled, he suffered from severe bouts of depression and on February 9th, 1990, took out his shotgun and took his own life. Shannon was unaware that he had just been selected to take the late Roy Orbison's place in the superstar band, The Traveling Wolverines. Take a walk on the dark side. Rock and roll myths, legends, and curses on Audible and iTunes. You know, there's this whole other part of the story with... Where they, where people wonder about secret societies, not just because Masons, right? Because yeah, I could see why how people might think, oh, that might be some kind of Masonic thing. Yeah, but no, um, it doesn't really, it doesn't have any of the symbolism at all. <laughs> no, no, it's complete. It seems utterly unique to me. Mm-hmm. Like there is very little that you can compare it to. You can compare it to Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, R.C. Christian writes in his book and 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 in a number of other places how the idea he liked the idea of Stonehenge but he didn't like how it, it didn't convey a definite message and i think that was sort of what he wanted to do with the monument was to convey a very you know definite message um, across multiple languages you know as well so you know, but you know, some some people think that he was a Rosicrucian, right? I was just going to bring that up because you've got the initials R.C. Christian. The first thing that pops into my head is Rosicrucian, and there is uh, elements of of Christian overtone in the commandments left on the guidestones. So that w- that was my first thought. I'm like, okay, he's probably just a Rosicrucian, and to my knowledge, Rosicrucians are are another group that gets an, a bad rap sometimes, but they're they're truly a betterment of society and mankind. Well, I mean, that's certainly what their writings said. And this is and this is the weird thing about it, right? Because like every single subject we seem to be talking about here has like it has this meaning that breaks both ways and you almost like feel like you have to tread lightly when you're when you're out here in podcast land, right? Am I gonna <laughs> am I gonna piss off the hardcore conspiracy theorists over here? That well we know friends? Rosicrucians. We we've right. got friends of the exactly. show that are Rosicrucians, so I'm not you know, I'm not real worried about them either. You know, exactly. Well, that's the thing is that then you got the other side is I'm not going to piss off my, you know, OTO buddies over here or whatever. <laughs> so, and like, and, and, and do they really think that each other are the devil, you know, but anyway, I know I'm, I'm going like far afield here, but the, the point I'm trying to make is, um, like this, 
my my friend Austin, right? Who who you are aware of if you've listened to Out There or some. Yes, and we're trying to get him onto the show very badly. So Austin, if you hear this, (laughs) (laughs) right? So my buddy Austin, he you know he called it a prism of meaning, right? The Georgia Guidestones are a prism of meaning, right? It's like. Like I said in the YouTube video we made, it's like Empire Strikes Back. You know, what, what's in there, you know, only what you take with you. So it's like this great sounding board for finding out what people are hysterical about and, and, and what people have been hysterical about since it was built. Because, you know, you have some people who believe that it was, you know, built by these occult master types and some of them believe that the occult master types are like trying to rule the world right they're the nwo and some of them believe that the occult master types are like you know what they should be shooting for and ascending for or whatever and you know it's just it's the same thing all the way around and i think the best way i can sum this up is that uh it's a work of art mm. More than any, I think more than anything else, and I think nobody's ever nobody ever really describes it that way. But it's a work of art, and it's no wonder if it's a good work of art that people have such varying interpretations of it. So, well, there is some uh, stuff in your book also. I was reading in there uh, we can touch on that. It's become a a place for for Wicca and and magical ceremonies and things like that. Ceremonies of protection of sorts, and it wasn't from from the way it sounds. It wasn't intended to be that way. It, it sounds as though it was built by a person who, using the pseudonym, who, who fancied himself as a Christian and was just trying to leave something behind, you know, for people for betterment. And it seems now that you got you've got the New World Order associated with it. You've got magical groups coming and using it for for ritual purposes. You've had people come in to face it. I'm curious about how how it's become now known as kind of like a, a magical mecca of sorts. Well, I don't know that I would exactly call it a magical mecca. But, um, I mean, I guess in some ways we were actually very lucky that we were able to talk to people who had done magical rituals out there. In fact, in the book, we talked to a couple of folks that were doing a magical ritual out there the night before they were they were unveiled, you know, the very, you know, the the very beginning back in 1980. And. You know, these people are, in many ways, very few and far between here in the Deep South. And so I think we were lucky to find them. I, I wouldn't go so far as to call the place a magical mecca. I think that it certainly attracts people that are interested in mystical, spiritual topics. I mean, obviously, just like Stonehenge would, like it harkens back to previous age but you know and it also attracts conspiracy researchers right because they see a more sort of sinister yeah that that kind of blows me away if i were running a secret society organization well bent on dominating the world i don't think i would be putting a calling card out saying hey this is our this is what we're going to do and these are our rules and our laws but then again, I'm not part of a secret society hell bent on dominating the world. So, <laughs> the best <laughs> I'm not place sure. to hide is in common sight. <laughs> yeah, this well, is true. This is why I run a podcast. <laughs> I mean, oh uh, yeah. Anyways, um. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, I you know, I have no problem with people attributing the Georgia Guidestones to a massive global conspiracy. I just have a problem with them doing that with very little to no proof. Of that, mm. and that was something that we really set out to do with the book is that we wanted to find out if these conspiracy theories held any water. And you know, we 
with doing podcasts and radio shows for years about conspiracies, you know, we thought, well, this was this was one that definitely deserved to be researched more deeply. Other people hadn't sort of gotten to it yet quite as much. And uh, we found it very hard to find any 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 major claims that were being made by many conspiracy theorists online that uh, that held any water, or some of them that were even wor- worth mentioning in the book. Like we, you know, we thought we, there was going to be material about UFOs that we were going to find, and there was a lot of talk about that, but there were no actual articles that we could find, or or anybody that was actually talking about it. But we found really weird stuff that we you couldn't get on the internet, like down at the Elberton Library and places like that, and. Um, so you know, it was. It you want really, to touch on any of that? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I mean, you, you know, don't have what, to give the whole book away, but is there anything you could talk about in there to, to convey some of that? Well, yeah. For one thing, we found a letter that R.C. Christian wrote years after, uh, years after the guidestones were put up, where you know, because the guides, because in many ways, his his idea with the guidestones was that he was afraid, maybe that he was afraid there was going to be a nuclear war. Right. He writes in his book that we have turned the world into an atomic tinderbox. Right. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, he's completely befuddled by the fall of the Berlin Wall. Like he's completely befuddled by the end of, of communism. In what Russia. happened? <laughs> yeah, no, really. And, and that's kind of the letter that he writes to the librarian in Elberton. Like this is com- these these events are completely positive and unforeseen and, and i I'm just really wasted all my money <laughs> no no well he doesn't go that far he doesn't go that far but you kind of get you kind of get the idea that he realizes that some of his that some of his initial motivations in putting up the monument uh you know the the times had shifted a little bit, and you can really tell that when you look into his book. And I think that's the really the big important thing that we do with with our book that you're not going to find on the websites online is we go through R.C. Christian's book and we talk about his ideas and we talk about what he says. And some of those things are inflammatory, and some of those things even look like the Orwellian New World Order. But uh, it's funny that that the conspiracy stuff that I see online right now doesn't go into any of that. Yeah. I was going to say, you don't hear anything about, you don't hear anything about the letter that he wrote back into the town, uh, after years later. And you don't hear anything about the book that he left behind to go along with the monument. It was intended to be added on to, correct? Yeah. The idea wasn't like what we see of the Georgia Guidestones now is, is just the original, central set of stones they're they're actually wanted the uh the the creator wanted them to be wanted there to be a ring of moonstones like a second ring kind of like stonehenge mm-hmm. sort of out beyond that would track the movement of the moon through its cycle and then it would also have other languages besides the original eight that are on the monument so um but of course that never got built he ran out of money I mean, and that to me is the big tell-all that that maybe there's not the new world order is not involved with this monument is because why would the yeah, new these world are order to run be out of money that have lots of money to be able to do something like this? Why would they suddenly run out of money to do it? Right, and I mean, also, the, I mean, like if it's the testament to the new world order and all that, like I mean, there's a misspelling or two on the yeah. flagstone. <laughs> 
and like yeah uh, it's got elvis aaron presley spelt wrong oh wait a minute that's, that's something else i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah it actually in in hindi it says paul is dead if yes you <laughs> yeah so exactly and one of the symbols if you hold a mirror to it it looks just like the cover of sergeant pepper i believe but that's another little discussed fact that's been hidden by the illuminati as well i believe right so but i mean th- but there are controversial things about about the monument and uh, it gets glossed over, it, it, and instead they go for the real sensational stuff. Like you know, instead of instead of looking at R.C. Christian's book, and this is some of the stuff we do, you know, in in the book is you know we look at what he wrote, and how some of it is really like, you know, it's very like one child policy, you know, population for, control. Forced migration of unemployed workers to wow. areas that have that have more employment opportunities. I mean, there's some really, there's some not cool stuff in there, right? There's Sounds some. Like he's a fan of eugenics. Um. Well, no, because I mean, think about think. I mean, you, you know, people always say that about the guidestones. I think that's weird because it says. Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity, and by and large, eugenics. The idea of eugenics is uh, kind of the opposite of that, right? Like uh, with eugenics, there's you're trying to get back to the pure, you know, Aryan race or whatever they were going for back in the 40s, in the 30s and 40s, and even before that in Germany and England and here in the United States. Well, the eugenics movement started here in the states. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and the worst eugenic. (laughs) Yeah, and and some of the worst eugenics laws. Oh, yeah. For sterilization, yep. this sort of stuff went on here in the United States long before it went on in Nazi Germany, and it was very terrible. But the idea with all these eugenics policies, right, was never to never to improve the diversity. Right. Of the they human. just wanted one. They wanted the Caucasians, and that was it. That's right. That's exactly right. And so that's the big difference here: is that the Guidestones seem to embrace a multicultural human race that just will looking somehow, to wipe out the weak is i mean do you, i mean i don't see that anywhere in particular but it certainly seems like some of the things that he says in his book are aimed perhaps to- perhaps a little a little too libertarian if you know what i mean like mm. you know um a little a little too much leaving people on their own old you know we we wanted to talk to you also about the satanic panic, and you had said that it tied into this in a certain way. Well, the satanic panic, right, is this uh, it's a sort of a classic moral panic, right? Kind of like the Red Scare in the 1950s or mm. the Salem Witch Trials or something like that. Anyway, the, <laughs> satanic, the satanic panic happened primarily in the 1980s, in uh, late 70s. Through the 1980s, even into the late into the early 1990s, primarily in the United States, especially in the Midwest and the South and more isolated rural places, and it was, well, I mean, we've all seen some of this, right? It was oh, yeah. characterized by this backlash against rock and roll music, saying that it was satanic in origin, and then you know those stories became grander and grander as time went by and then a lot of people began believing that there was this giant conspiracy of satanic cults 
covens all over the country that, for instance, uh, kidnapped children and committed child sacrifices and drank blood and just, I mean, all the worst things you could think of. All the things that would be most offensive to a Midwest Christian grandmother's sensibilities, you know, Mm -hmm. like all the most fantastic stuff. And then, you know... So that that's the, the sort of basic story of the Satanic Panic, right? And this stuff was enshrined uh, in 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 like books, Christian books, like that you would get like the family Christian bookstore, right? It still oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, I remember uh, reading a book in the 1990s called Dabblings, right? And it was all about the this classic Satanic cult scenario and all this stuff. And it was the first time I'd ever read about uh, the famous. Uh, occultist from Victorian times, Alistair Crowley, mm-hmm. right? And in in the book, it said that he had like sacrificed hundreds of people Ugh. and all of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, which like has like no historical accuracy, but it gives you a good example of the way these sort of evangelical novels paint uh, say, uh, Satanism, witchcraft. Ugh. You know, you know, a lot of times people who are actually practicing other religions in their town, you know, that they that, that they, you know, paint as Satanists and stuff like this. But this went on really bad in the 80s, guys. Like, uh, you, trust you me, know, no. you know, now you can now if you're in the army, you you know, and if you're a, a Wiccan or a pagan, you can get the pentagram on your tombstone or whatever. But right. back then, you know, they'd fire you or ostracize you. If they found, yeah, if they found out that you were reading like a Margot Adler book or DJ Conway (laughs) or something like, I mean, it was it was pretty ridiculous, and it was the same thing, you know, with with the with the the teenagers where their moms were burning their Kiss albums or or whatever. The least offensive group out there for Satanism. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So yeah, I mean, it's not like Merciful Fate or anything. I know, right? But. Anyway, so, you know, that's that's the sort of milieu of the satanic panic. But, you know, and, and we can all kind of laugh this off, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I remember when I was a teenager, you know, my mom didn't like D&D or whatever. Oh, but, I it was, too. Yep. but, yeah, I mean, we've all kind of been through something like that, especially if we're nerds listening to podcasts on the Internet at this point. Yeah, right. right? Ooh. Uh, so not just diss the audience, man. I was I was dissing myself. It's only really. a diss if it isn't true. Yeah. <laughs> you got your own podcast, so you really can't. You know, you know of what you speak. Uh, well, I describe my podcast listeners as hungry spiders, so they always want more, precious. So. Nice. Um, does the satanic panic tie into the Georgia Guidestones, though? Does was there wasn't there a belief that this was put together by a group of satanists as well? Absolutely. And many of the local preachers and ministers in the area thought that it was a center of pagan religion, of pagan rites, or of Satanism or occultism. I mean, they don't, they never know how to use those words precisly. At so all. Not precisely. Yeah, at yeah, all. At all. <laughs> so um, it's really hard to, to get at what, what their exact beliefs were about the Guidestones. But. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because in that, which this was going on back in the 80s, right? And it was just one more example of it, right? Actually, back in my hometown, a church was burned down. And the um, the troubled kid that burned it down, when they arrested him for it, he said someone else did it and blamed it on Satanists had burned it down. And yeah, this was like a, like a, like a really old 
really, really old church in my town. So, I mean, it seems like everywhere you would go back during that time, there would be some example of this of, of this mass hysteria where they'd pick an object within society, the, the kid's record or, you know, the, the college-age kid's interest in Wicca or rock music or whatever it was. And so the Guidestones became one of those symbols because they are obviously not totally Christian. And they look a little creepy like Stonehenge to people. And... Um, so a lot of the local ministers, you know, made all these accusations like that it was a site of pagan worship. But strangely enough, it was a site of pagan worship because people who actually believe in those things, who have a legitimate right to practice those religions and are not a menace to society like the, like the ministers might have been painting them to be, like they actually were going out there. So, and like I said, we talked to some of them and interviewed them for the book, so... How has the town's reaction been to you? Have they have they embraced you with open arms? Do people there like they they know you now? And are they cool with this, or how do they see you going out and investigating this? Oh, they're they're always by and large willing to talk. I mean, they typically forget me between each time that we talk, and I have to retell them who I am because they're so used to crackpot researchers poking around their town. I mean, it's nothing new. Right. I mean, what I'm doing is nothing new. I mean, it was just that me and Katie wrote a book about it, you know. Um, but so, no, they, they, they tend to be pretty open to talk about it, but I think they get kind of sick of it, too, because a lot of people bring their preconceptions with them. And instead of just being polite, you know, they seem they act superstitious. So the InfoWars tour bus rolls up and then all hell breaks loose. I don't No, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'll say that I, I would certainly wish, I guess I wish that Alex Jones would have at least said something after the Godstones had been vandalized. Because when they were initially vandalized, like the first time when they were vandalized really badly, it was right after the Obama election. There were a lot of quotes up there that were like directly from Endgame, which is his film, mm-hmm. right? Which a lot, I'm sure a lot of people in the audience have probably seen this movie, you know? And, you know, you watch the movie and whatever your opinion of it is, like, it's not really about the Georgia Guidestones at all. But it's just like it flashes the Guidestones up right at the beginning of the film and right at the end of the film. And there's like not even any narration. There's like two lines of narration about the monument, yet... Just that is an, was enough in a lot of ways to get someone mad enough to go down there and scrawl a lot of the catchphrases from the movie on the Guidestones, which I thought, well, that's kind of cheesy. And I don't think that was I don't think that was what Alex Jones was going for when he made Endgame. Maybe it was. I don't know. Do they have anybody that actually goes out and takes care and maintains the Guidestones or are they just kind of left to their own devices out there? No, they're 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 kept up, you know. There's you know someone goes out there and mows the lawn and trims the hedges and stuff. And then there's uh you know the sheriff's department has cameras up there now just to make sure no one tries to knock them over or, you know. Yeah, I can't believe nobody's tried to knock them over either. That's people, another thing that blows my mind. Well, people have tried to knock them over. I mean, we saw some evidence in some photos that I've got. Of, if you look at the English face of the guidestones in the top right hand corner, it looks like there's a there's a notch cubic shaped notch 
cut out of it. And it looks like it goes all the way into the steel rebar that's inside the piece of concrete. Wow. Like as if they were trying to grab it and pull it off, pull the capstone off of one of the main stones and knock the whole thing down. I mean, people like really have it out. I mean, what would you say? With like a backhoe? I guess. Probably a or pickup the, truck and a six pack of beer. Right, or the pickup <laughs> truck and a hook. I mean, I don't know what it, I don't know what it was, but it just looked really unnatural. And But at the same time, the cut looked really clean. The edges of the cut in it, of the damage, were really clean. And that kind of worried me. I was like, well, you would need like a power tool, some kind of power, or a lot of time to do that. And then I looked back at pictures I had taken back in 2005, and that that cubic shaped notch is not cut. It's not there. I wonder if it was the guy that put the stupid YouTube video up with the, uh, the terrible voice alteration. <laughs> oh yeah. The, the, the masked ranter. We are the members. We are afraid of the new world order, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I some people Caesars more than the new world order. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, some people may have seen that online. If you guys in the audience follow the guidestones or have been following the story, uh, there, there was this sort of masked ranter that got up on YouTube a couple of years ago talking about how the New World Order, it was the Stargate of the New World Order or something oh. like that. It was yeah. just, it was really far out. And like he claimed to represent We Are Change, Georgia, <laughs> but, but then we found out that he didn't, like he was too crazy even for them, I think. I don't know. I don't, Maybe I don't I'll know. post that video up on the uh, on the uh, show notes for this show. If I can find it, I'll put a link to it at the YouTube because it really is quite humorous to see this guy. It just looked like some <laughs> some broke guy hiding in the basement with a light on his back so you couldn't see his face with a weird vocoder. And it's like, really, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> oh well, you know, I think we should be we we should be nice. Okay. You know, we talk about if you want to read more about the the masked ranter, his name is Jim. We t- we have a whole section in the book about him <laughs> as well oh, and his. In his adventures and some of his backstory, because he's shown up in the news a couple of other times. So, um, I mean, that's the sort of the interesting thing about the Guidestones is all the people that talk about the Guidestones and like really get a, get a total hard on for knocking them down or whatever. Like they always have interesting backstories. Like Mark Dice, who's who's written you know written in some of his conspiracy books about. The Guidestones, he used to be like a pickup artist. Like, he used to write books about, like, how to pick up women and all this stuff. And, like, it's just like that everywhere you go. Like, everybody in this story has this, like, some other weird claim to fame. Oh, and Mark Dice also first became famous because he, uh, and we talk about this in the book, because he was the first one to make a real stink about Jessica Simpson. What? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he was the one that was like first called her a singing stripper, which what? I mean, I mean, I gotta hand it to I, him. I, I oh, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> so anyway, so I mean, I don't know. I hope I've given you guys at least an idea of what oh, yeah. the guidestones are. Oh yeah, you know, and well, some glimpses you, uh, into the book. You know, tell us about where you can get the book. Tell us about any websites you got. If you want to plug your show, which it, it sounds like it's coming to an end fairly soon, anyways. But if you want to go ahead and plug away with anything you want. Okay, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll get the machine gun out. And, the hosts. Uh, don't plug the hosts. Don't, don't plug the hosts. Um, okay, <laughs> so uh, if you are interested in getting the book, right, the Georgia Guidestones, America's Most Mysterious Monument, right, just easy as pie, guidestones.us. 
Very easy. Uh, right there on the front page, links to get it a million different ways. If you want an audio book, if you want an ebook, Kindle, paperback, whatever, we're here in the future. You can get it whatever way you like it. And, you have it in an audio book uh, format too? Yeah, we and we recorded the recorded and produced the audio book ourselves. You can get that online, and in fact, that is only seven ninety nine right Ooh. now. You can get that for a direct download right off our site, and I'll even go you one better, my friend. Uh, the e the PDF ebook, which you can download directly from Guidestones.us, four ninety nine. Ooh, right now. So I know cool. I sound like QBC, but that's you know a third <laughs> Billy a third Mays. of the retail price of the book, guys. I don't know. <laughs> No, yes. that's great. It's it's so, cool because you're it, it's for the money you're charging for the book. It's very nicely produced. It's very nicely written. It's informative. And what I like about it is it's not just these are the Georgia Guidestones because we've a lot of people. I don't want to say everybody, but we've heard about the story up to that point. And you've what I wanted to get you on here for was to talk about what you've discovered. It's it's really nice. It's it's really good value. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. I really enjoyed the book. I really liked it. And now I want to go him. see it. He's been talking about your book for eons now. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm glad you liked it. You know, it's it's a quick read. You can finish it off in an afternoon, and uh, we certainly enjoyed making it for you guys. And we were really happy that Disinfo was willing, or Disinformation, to to use the long form, was willing to publish it for us. So What's we site address it's uh... disinfo.com. Okay. So, I'll have that in the show notes too. Raymond, thank you for coming on the show. I'm I'm really glad that you came on here. It's been great talking to you. You were one of my influences to get into podcasting. And uh, it's it's just been a blast having you here. I, I really like talking to you. Well, you know, if uh, the rest of the people on your bucket list are, are nerdy guys like me, you won't have any problem filling in. <laughs> Uh, filling in all of your top interviewees, so and I'll be happy to come back on. Sweet, uh, anytime you guys like. So uh, we'll hold you to that. Believe yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> you better believe it. We'll be hounding you. So okay, and one one last schlock plug here: Guides, Guidestones.us. Check the book out. Thanks, Raymond. Thanks, thank, Raymond. Thank you, guys. And that was Mr. Raymond Wiley. Great guy. Really cool to talk to. He actually gave us more information than I thought he was going to. He, of course, didn't want to give the book away. By the time you guys are hearing this, we've actually recorded this episode two weeks ago. He was uh, back in the States, so we managed to nail him down and, and get, a, get a recording of him while he was over here for, over the holidays. But the prices of the books that he that he made reference to, if I leave it into the show, which I probably will, he's not sure if those prices are still going to be the same That by the time you go out and buy the book. If it's not, it's it's still not that expensive of a book. No, you know, no, even, it's a deal for what it is. Yeah, it's got it's it's really real. It's not one of these little chintzy books that, you know, private publishers put out with minimal information. He's actually got some pictures in here, and being that I can't read and I enjoy pictures, I enjoy. <laughs> pictures. I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, go check them out. I'll have all the links and information for the stuff he talked about up in the show. I think I am going to put that cheesy YouTube video from that guy up there. Yeah, go for it. Because uh, it's it's pretty funny. <laughs> it really is. We are the new world order. You know. <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's like, you know, you're expecting a little bat to come flying around in the background attached to a string or something or a oh, UFO to go floating by a python on a string. That's great, man. So, but, um, I eat Frankenberry. Yeah, exactly. 
But that was uh, Raymond Wiley, and that was this week's episode of Project Archivist. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, folks. Talk to you next week. Peace. Peace.